1: Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, July 18th. I'm Kevin Farrell, in for Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new poll reveals Mississippians' attitudes on the Dobbs decision and abortion rights, Then, how One rural Mississippi Store is adapting to the latest challenge in its 138 years of doing business, plus a new hotline for mental health and substance abuse. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Political leaders in the state have been celebrating last month's Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v.ersus Wade, but a recent poll suggests voters in Mississippi are not in lockstep with elected officials. According to an ACLU of Mississippi Commission survey by Blueprint Polling, a narrow majority disagree with the court's decision. Jarvis Dortch, former state legislator and executive director of the ACLU, shares more on the poll's findings with our Michael Guidry.
3: This has been a 50-year issue about overturning Roe and abortion access and, you know, the questions with abortion-related laws in Mississippi has really been a theoretical question because there's always been that backstop of Roe uh, protecting the right to an abortion. So we wanted to know, now that this is a real issue, how do Mississippians feel about the decision itself, but how do Mississippians also feel about any laws that may come as a result of the role being overturned, uh, the criminalization of abortion, um, different things that impact women in the state. We want to get a sense of where voters are at now that these are real laws that are going to be affecting um, families, women, and Mississippians across the board.
4: I guess the headline of this poll finds that a, a narrow majority of of Mississippians Disagreed with the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe. Uh, Roughly fifty-one percent disagree. Forty-two percent of Mississippians polled agree. Uh, But it it doesn't stop there. Other than other than that, that fifty-one percent disagree. What what other polling question uh, from this survey did you find really uh, stands out uh, when it comes to Mississippians' attitudes towards? policy that that restricts uh, and limits uh, reproductive health
3: yeah i think the um, the next part of that that's, that stands out to us is the, the the questions around what to do now about you know criminalization of abortion or uh, reproductive health and there's a uh the vast majority majority of mississippi voters oppose any efforts to criminalize that um to allow law enforcement or the state to um, check internet history, uh, medical records, uh, to go really and enforce these laws. Uh, even with the individuals or voters that agree with the decision and dogs, there's a big reluctance amongst them to allow the state to do all of the things that we're seeing being proposed in other states as far as uh, intervening in the privacy of, you know, families and women who who may either have a miscarriage, they may have a complicated pregnancy, or they may have um, um they may have abortion an abortion that they do, uh, perform at home. Uh, but we see a big reluctance on allowing the state to go in and do any type of an investigation that you know really puts them into the. Um, the daily lives of of women who are going
4: through this issue, and the numbers of of some of those things that you've mentioned are, are, are pretty resounding. You know, seventy nine point one percent oppose a, a potential proposal from legislative leaders that would require doctors and healthcare providers to issue reports. Seventy nine percent oppose that, and like you said, eighty six percent oppose uh, any monitoring of internet history. On the flip side of that, this poll, uh, some of the questions in the poll also reveal attitudes about infant and maternal mortality. Tell us a little bit about what you've, what, either what you've discovered or what was kind of confirmed in your polling about Mississippi's attitudes about those those issues.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about what policies go forward um, now that Roe is overturned and how does the state um, invest in families and children and, and women and You know, one thing that's been proposed for several years now is to expand Medicaid postpartum care that ends after 60 days to expand to 12 months to allow uh, women that have recently uh, given birth to have health insurance for over a year to address some of those issues that that come out um, during postpartum care. Uh, that, That legislation had bipartisan support in the Mississippi legislature, but it failed last year when it was killed in the House but we see that 76% of Mississippians support um, that expansion of uh, postpartum care. And the number is the same when it comes to generally expanding Medicaid, there's 76% of Mississippians support it. And what's outstanding in that is that 59% of Republicans support both policies. So we have broad support to invest um, healthcare dollars in making sure that uh, at risk Mississippians, low income Mississippians have health insurance.
4: Based on what we know from this polling about Mississippi's attitudes toward that, where's the disconnect with legislative leadership? And why aren't we why isn't the state seeing more policies that reflect these attitudes?
3: Well, I mean, I think one of the reasons, the the biggest reason for that, I think, is you have legislative leaders and legislators in general that don't feel like there's any any, you know, repercussions from not voting for the policies that Mississippians want that they have drawn districts that are heavily favored to keep them um, in office and that's on Republican side and the democratic side their biggest concern is a primary Democrats and Republicans they're not responding to the general needs of the general you know general voters in Mississippi um so that's that's a big issue i think with Roe being overturned, and with these laws that are being passed having such a real dramatic impact on especially women, because we see a big gender gap in these numbers as well. That women typically um, oppose Roe, I mean, oppose the decision in Dobbs by about 10% higher than the, the general number that we gave. So we think that as we see these laws that have such a dramatic impact come forward, we're going to see voters. Uh, take these issues more seriously and actually make sure that they're demanding that their lawmakers, their legislators, their governor pass bills, uh, pass policies that actually benefit their families.
4: Finally, I'd like to shift to some of the last questions asked, and that has to do with uh, favorability of, of the state's elected leaders. I'd like to take a look at how uh, the longest-serving legislative leader, uh, and that's how Speaker Philip Gunn does. And the most jarring thing to me that I see in this poll is that 45 percent of respondents said they didn't have enough information to form an opinion on uh, the, the the speaker's favorability. The man who basically used the power of his office to 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 squash the latest efforts to extend Medicaid. Uh, what does it say that almost half of the people responding? don't have a strong enough or, or don't feel comfortable enough answering that question to begin with?
3: I think a lot of uh, Mississippians kind of tune the legislature out. They don't expect much out of that body. And, you know, unfortunately, that we see that in this poll, but we also see that voter turnout. People are tuned out to what happens at that Capitol. And that's because they're not seeing anything produced at that Capitol that really benefits. And they've come to expect that lawmakers at the Capitol are not going to do anything on their behalf, and that's a real shame. So I think that's, for me, that's what those numbers tell me, that people are are really tuned out to what goes on in the Mississippi legislature.
4: Well, Jarvis Storch, Executive Director of the ACLU of Mississippi, I thank you so much for your time and uh, breaking down this poll with us.
3: I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Coming up, how One Rule Mississippi Store is adapting to the latest challenge in its 138 years of doing business. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell. Country stores are a hallmark of the rural south, the kind of places where you can buy fertilizer in one aisle, lotion in the next, and crickets for bait in a third. While many closed years ago, driven out by big stores with cheaper prices, others hung on. As Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom reports, adapting to challenges like inflation is nothing new for these 100-year-old stores.
0: With two floors filled with baskets of cotton, cast iron skillets, and farming plows, the Simmons Wright Company in Kewanee, Mississippi, is a country boy's dream. And the boy dreaming today is 75-year-old Louis Hankins. He made the short drive from Alabama to this 138-year-old store, and he can't stop playing show and tell with the rusted farm equipment he pulls from the shelves.
3: That's what they weighed their cotton with, that right there.
0: Really, he's enjoying his own game of, I bet the Jersey-born reporter doesn't know what this is.
3: And that's an old rolling pin. I know
1: you. Oh, I know a rolling pin at the very least. I'm not that ignorant.
0: <laughs> as someone who seems to really love a story like this, what's the consequence of not having as many?
3: Well, country life. Country life. It's no more country life, not like what it used to be.
0: Hankins sees the store as one of the last vestiges of that life. But the truth is, a lot of those things he's picking up and admiring are just window dressing now. We, we bought those things at
3: auctions, and we've had them for years. It's just kind
0: of ornamental. Gary Pickett owns the store and says the merchandise side only makes up a small fraction of his business. We sell it, but not very often. The home repair wall does pretty well. He bought most of it from a hardware supplier that went under five years ago. But inflation will likely cut into that side of the business real soon. Pickett points out a customer inspecting a roll of copper wire.
3: Looks like a man, see, he sees the old price on the, on the wire there. He knows he's getting a deal. Copper wire's really gone through the roof. If I replaced, like, that roll he's got right there, instead of being, like, $25, that's like 60 bucks. Love y'all. Love y'all. Thank Love
0: y'all. Thank y'all. Inflations hurt those sales, but the pivot away from merchandise happened years ago. Most of Pickett's business now comes from selling food like fried catfish and pork skins. Simmons Wright shifted to cooking after the great recession hit the store's bottom line in 2008. A more recent challenge has been the spread of dollar stores in the south. Uh, dollar generals
3: are everywhere. And they there was really really the competition. But I don't try to compete with them. We just try to keep on doing our thing with the cooking part and it's really helped us out a lot. So it sounds like it's it
0: you morph from General store that also sold food to now place that sells food and also sometimes your general store. Right, yeah. Even if none of it ever sells, the atmosphere created by the old nutcrackers and antique soda bottles still makes for good business. In fact, country store chic has become modern fashion. New general stores are popping up all over the rural South. They draw on customers with the look of old style country life while replacing the creaking steps and aged merchandise with modern A.C. and novelties like ranch dressing sodas. And while the atmosphere in Pickett's old family store may get people in the door, the family is divided over whether it should still bother selling those old knickknacks or leave them as just rustic decorations. In one camp, Gary Pickett's daughter says keep the tradition going. In the other, his
3: son says toss it. She's a nostalgist. He's the person that does straight business. It's all dollar and cents to him. If it ain't making a dollar, we don't keep on doing it. Several
0: country store owners in Mississippi worry about being able to keep their hundred-year-old doors open if prices stay this high. Pickett says they're surviving, but inflation is adding more weight to his son's side, including a plan to make the place an event venue. Like a wedding
3: on a weekend, if you let them rent the cotton gin for a photo shoot and have a wedding up there and be 10,000 bucks, you know, or more. That's actually an advantage these
0: old small stores have over the big chains. During tough economic times, it's easier for them to pivot. Because it's easy to think of these stores as time capsules, looking and operating the same way they did 100 years ago. But Pickett says his family has always tried new things.
3: They were people that that did what it took to survive Well, they had the cotton gin then, they had a blacksmith shop, they even sold caskets. At one
0: time, shoes and silk shirts took over. Those eventually fell away too. Despite the reputation of country stores as being locked in the past, Pickett says the only way they survived
1: has been by changing with the times. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration among public media stations in Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama. Coming up, a new hotline for mental health and substance abuse. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
5: Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell. A new resource is now available for Mississippi residents to help address mental health and substance abuse crises. The 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline launched over the weekend and will operate through the existing National Suicide Prevention Lifeline to better assist those who need emergency intervention. Brenda Patterson, Executive Director of Contact Crisis Line in Mississippi, highlights the new service with MPB's Rhonda Dunaway.
2: It's been a long process with getting the number approved, with each state coming up with their plan and then working with their local resources and mental health uh, centers in order to get on board with this. In addition to a telephone number, it also provides an opportunity for chat, for online emotional support for people that are more comfortable talking about their problems online rather than on the telephone. And that is our way of being able to reach our teens and young adults who are much more comfortable talking online on chat and texting. And so this affords that opportunity for them as well. So 988 is twofold. It is chat as well as uh, a simpler way uh, through the telephone to connect with emotional support.
5: So when you call, who's going to be on the other end of that line?
2: Well, I guess first I'd like to mention what happens when you call that number. Mm -hmm. When you call that number, you are going to be routed by area code to the local uh, closest lifeline call center based upon your area code. So if you have a Mississippi area code, you're going to be routed uh, to contact the crisis line here in Jackson or to Columbus, Mississippi. So when they um, reach out to us, then it's going to be a trained um crisis line counselor here in Mississippi that's going to be taking that call, and we're going to be uh, working with that individual uh, using our active, best active listening skills to kind of learn some more about what's going on with that person, to be able to work collaboratively with them, to keep them safe. If there are resources that would be able to help them with their next best step, then we would be able to do that because we would be the most uh, knowledgeable of the local services here in Mississippi. If in fact we feel like that they need additional assistance more than what we can manage on the phone, 80% of the calls are managed by the telephone call, but if we feel like we need to reach out for additional help, that's where we have our working relationship with our mobile crisis teams that are available in each regional behavioral health center in Mississippi. There are 13 regional behavioral health centers. And then, from there, be able to work with their next step, whether they need to meet with them face to face, do they need additional support of a stabilization unit? do they need to be connected just um, with their local local counselor that they're already been involved with
5: in the past, when say someone is having a breakdown a mental health breakdown and they're in a crisis. In the past, we would have maybe called the, um, you know, police and or 911. Uh, so tell me a little bit about how that addresses that in a, in a much, I guess, more professional or safe way for the patient.
2: Well, you know, first, you know, you're mentioning 911. It helps with the overburden that 911 has. They are overburdened uh, as it is, and so this kind of helps relieve some of that burden that they, that they have. Also, 988 also helps with so far as uh, decreasing the stigma around reaching out, and we're hoping that the 988 number will help reduce the stigma of reaching out to begin with. Because as you mentioned with 911, uh, no one would ever hesitate to call 911 uh, if their house was on fire. But hmm. if there's a mental health emergency, you're hesitant. But it's not going to be a handoff like nine one one is a handoff to the police or a handoff to the fire department. That we're going to be managing and working with that individual directly um, on the phone to handle what's going on with their day. To help uh, walk shoulder to shoulder with them to help them come up with what is their next best solution and to talk through what some of the problems that they're trying to manage. Right. And I think that's some of the things that sometimes people don't have that person to talk to. You know, to be able to get things off of their chest, mm-hmm. to be able to think through what um, what their options are. Some of our individuals that we speak with are already kind of in the system, maybe seeing a counselor through the Regional Behavioral Health Center. So getting them connected with the mobile crisis team can be a really helpful way for them to get back reconnected, to get maybe, uh, you know, get their appointment situated, maybe mm-hmm. get them connected with their, uh, with their physician, their, their prescribing physician. If there's something that's gone, maybe strange with, say, a new prescription or mm-hmm. something has happened and they uh, have quit taking their medicine because they didn't have, they couldn't afford it, mm-hmm. but to be able to try to get help for them in the moment because they would have their, um, their records. They would have their records and be able to know the most about them.
5: There is um, something that is unique for veterans in crisis. Can you tell me anything about that?
2: Okay. So the veterans, interestingly enough, the Veterans Crisis Line number and the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number is the same number, only veterans are asked to press 1 at the appropriate time when they call that number. Um, At that particular point, that's when they are routed to a, a national call center for the Veterans Crisis Line. Now, if they do not press 1, they're going to be connected with their local lifeline, which would be here at Contact the Crisis Line more than likely. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we would be taking those particular calls. And we try to have a good working relationship with the local VA so far as the Veterans Crisis Line locally at the, at the VA to be able to connect them with um, the right personnel to be able to assist them. If, in fact, it happens to be after hours or at a time that they're not accessible, then that's when we would be reaching out to our local mobile crisis teams to be able Mm. to assist with that particular individual. But the same text and chat is also available for our veterans.
5: Are there higher rates of suicide among veterans than um, regular citizens, or how does that work?
2: Yes, yes. I'm a Unfortunately, there is there is a higher rate. You know, um, in Mississippi, it's the 14th leading cause of death in Mississippi, and sadly, it's the third leading cause of death for uh, individuals 10 to 14, as well as 25 to 34. But that just increases even more in regard to our to our veterans. There is a high rate, and with that, you know there are more services now available. However, they have to get connected. They have to mm-hmm. know about them, have mm-hmm. to get connected. And that's where reaching out to 988 may be a beginning point. And if mm-hmm. they feel like that that is a benefit, then they're more likely to maybe call back and maybe reach out to a counselor face-to-face. So that is another benefit because the individual can remain anonymous. That's something else I, did, I would like for people to know is that when you call 988, you can remain anonymous. In fact, many, if not most, of our callers prefer to remain anonymous. We offer a follow-up call at the end of every conversation, and if they're interested, then we set up a time to check back in with them. But if they're not interested in that, that's okay too. Mm. Um, many times that's part of why they – like to call 988 because it is anonymous and they are able to talk to someone who is very objective who has unconditional acceptance and positive regard for them and is willing to hear hear them out and hear them talk about what's going on with their day and help them talk through what they feel like is the next best step for them.
1: Brenda Patterson is the executive director of Contact Crisis Line in Mississippi. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.